This upcoming concert season will be all about the boots, and Tecovis is your stop for the best in Western style. Tecovis has seasonal and limited edition offerings this spring and summer, including men's and women's boots, apparel, hats, bags, and more. All Tecovis boots are made by hand in a time-honored tradition with timeless styles that are always on trend. And Tecovis has first wear comfort with little to no break-in period. It's hard to find this level of comfort paired with this level of style. Stop by your local Tecova store, have a complimentary drink or two, that's WCB style, and shop new styles. The smell of fresh leather and friendly staff are at your service. Many stores even have leather custom branding to make your boots truly personalized. And with regular live music and events, there's no in-store experience like it. If you can't make it into a store, just visit tecovas.com. That's T-E-C-O-V-A-S.com. They offer free shipping on all boots, as well as free returns and exchanges, and ship right to your door. Go to tecovas.com and find your new favorite pair of boots today. Fishing like a local isn't just about catching fish. It's about connecting with the environment and the people who call it home. It's about hearing the stories and traditions that have been passed down for generations and sharing unforgettable moments with the people you meet along the way. Fishing like a local is having an experience that stays with you forever. And with Fishing Booker, you can experience it too, no matter where you are. Discover your next adventure on Fishing Booker. So there's a reason why I started Blood Origins. And that reason is simple. Is that I wanted to convey the truth about hunting. It brings awareness to, to non-hunters that it's, it's more than just killing animals. How do I start it? Brittany. My name. My name. Is, <laughs> Does my hair look okay? It's fantastic. My name is Mike Axelrod. Start again. Yeah, I hated it too. Braxton, <laughs> you said something in the car to me. You said that you were living on borrowed time. Hmm. There's a perception around who hunters are, what we're supposed to be, and a... A feminist that works for a non-profit that is a hunter that has only eaten wild game for the last 20 years is likely not the thing that people think about when it comes to a hunter. There we go. Um, where are you right now? Because gosh, you freaking go everywhere. Oh, I'm just outside of Melbourne in a little town called Torquay, so uh, where my family lives in Australia. Is Torquay in South Australia or Victoria? It's in Victoria. My family was South Australian, uh, sort of born and bred, and then they moved to Victoria after my sister had a a little one. So, um, yeah, my, my roots are South Australia. And you, at that time, had decided to become some sort of, you know, stunt double fearless individual all around the world. They're like, oh, we're not going to follow Kai. We'll just stay here with the babies. Yeah, it was a good choice. You know, I, I never knew where I was going to be, even if I was based in one place. You know, you always get flown different places for work. So I, I definitely am never in the one place for a, a long period of time. Are you still in the game technically? I mean, I'm in the TV industry um, and I do... Definitely do a few stunts here and there when uh, when the mood suits and if something interests me, but um, more, <laughs> more into the reality TV side of things at the moment. And that's you and Caleb, right? Caleb, yeah. Caleb, yep. 
Um, how did you meet him? Obviously, he is not Aussie. He is British, right? Yeah, so um, I had a production meeting in Bristol and um, I mean, I had a few of them. One got cancelled and I was sort of posting on Instagram that I was out and about in Bristol and um, we followed each other on Instagram due to a mutual love of bushcraft and survival and, and he just sort of said, wow, that's my hometown and are you here? And we met up for a coffee and sort of the rest is history from there. Jeez, look at Instagram, man. Instagram is... <laughs> Is the start of relationships, the start of connections, relationships, even though it has many, many, many faults, it has many, many good sides too. I mean, I wouldn't have met half of the wonderful people in sort of the hunting and outdoor industry if it wasn't for social media. I mean, it allows sort of the black sheep like me where we're like, well, where's my tribe? Where's my family? Yeah. To meet up with like-minded individuals and, and connect in a way that we never would have been able to before. So... You know, for all of its faults, it has some plus sides as well. Kai, I, I'm going to please don't, uh, if I mess up your last name, please correct me. Kai Furno. Yeah, perfect. Nice. Kai Furno, welcome to the Blood Origins podcast. This is well overdue. We should have done this a long time ago. Thank you. It's uh, nice to finally be seeing you face to face, sort of. Yeah, over. exactly. We only interacted through Instagram. That's how we've gotten to know each other. Uh, gotten to know who you are, you've gotten to know what we do, um, and here we are, freaking debacle after debacle that is happening in Australia. It's like, there's three things happening right now, all mixed up. The feral deer management plan, call for comments, Victoria's duck hunting season, don't even get me started, I'm about to do a whiteboard video about like, and we can mesh those two things together, and then obviously South Australia bow hunting. But, right. Kai, is, here's, here's the thing. Here's I, how I see the duck season and how I see the bow hunting thing. You are always going to have bad apples no matter what, what you do. But unfortunately, in the bow hunting space, when there is a bad apple, it looks really, really bad. Mm, well, I mean, and there's a lack of education as well because, you know, I mean... Yes, there's animals that are sort of showing up all over the place with bow, with uh, arrows through them, but those arrows in almost every case have been target tips. So they are looking right. at limiting bow hunting, but you're still allowed to do target shooting. And any bow hunter would be using, you know, broadheads. So the the fact that they're still going to have target shooters and it's target shooters that are inflicting this damage on animals i mean it, it's just a a real lack of understanding and education about the actual sort of sport itself well let's let's rewind it a little bit not even just the sport but there are fundamental things that are being challenged with the bow hunting uh uh, ban as well as them pushing again to get the duck hunting banned in the state of Victoria. Let's start very simplistically. Acquisition of food. Right. And I mean, especially in this day and age, I'm sure that anyone shopping anywhere in the world is finding that the prices of all food are going up and up. Like in Australia, I know in particular, you can barely escape the supermarket with a bag of groceries for like a single bag for less than a hundred dollars so a lot of 
people around Australia actually do rely on hunting as a source of food for their family. Kai, have you not have you seen it in your own circles or the circles that you interact with socially that people are because here in America I would say there is a big trend into the local vor sourcing your own food type mentality. Same thing happening in Australia or not? Absolutely. I mean and and I watch it with bated breath because you know we all have been through this really big swing into veganism and vegetarianism and now studies are proving things like that sort of diet's not good for your mental or physical health and I've been waiting for this swing to come around so you have places that are super sort of trendy with their health um beliefs such as Byron Bay and now turning to carnivore bone broths and those sort of things for their health. So again, uh, people are realizing that if you want a sustainable lifestyle, then sourcing your own food is one of the most sustainable lifestyles that you can actually have. And, you know, harvesting your own meat is a big, big part of that. I mean, meat is one of the biggest expenses in a grocery bill. And if you can locally harvest and source your own food, then you're, you're cutting back immense costs for your family. Um, and I'm not sure if you know, but one of the sneaky ways they started to bring in this ban on hunting in Victoria was to ban people from processing their own food that they Oh, yes, yes, yes. The game, shot. it was like the Game Food Act or something like that, right? You weren't allowed to process Permitted. it yourself and you weren't allowed to give it away. But Right, without yeah. a butcher's license or something, which most of us are not going to have. So. It started with this thing like, well, it's okay if you hunt, but you can't source it for meat and you have to, you know, and you can't share it with others. And it just seemed ludicrous to me. Like, well, such just a think about like the enforcement it. around something like that, right? That's un it's just unfathomable, right? It's not going to happen. People are still going to do it. That's the whole point of why we hunt. We'd like to give the food away. Nobody in their right mind, I've never heard someone, and people that listen to this podcast have heard me say this before. I've never heard someone go to the grocery store and buy half a dozen ribeyes and then call up their mates and say, hey, I got a bunch of free ribeyes. Would you like them? Mm. Never. Not happening. No. However, I've many, many, I've done it, you've done it, most hunters have done it, that there's a rump roast, there's some steak, there's some sausage, I think sausage that you've been processed, that... The, the cost of that meat is actually probably three, four, five, ten times sometimes the cost of the ribeye. And that. Yet you're, you're willing to give it away. Right. And I mean, don't get me started on the chemicals that you find in, uh, in meats in supermarkets and things like that. You know, the, the, they're finding that the vegetation that the, the cows and, or the, the, pro, the, the food that they're giving the cows and stuff is putting all these different hormones in our meat as well. So, you know, we are also able to harvest uh, free-range, pure grass-fed meat if we're looking at, at hunting our own food out here as well. So, you know, and there's just so many benefits to hunting, really. So the South Australian government is suggesting through this ban that, hey, we don't want you sourcing your own food. 
with whichever means you decide to source them, and you're, they're saying this means is, is unacceptable. But at the root of it, you could say that they're saying no. Go get your food in the grocery store just like everyone else. That's where it comes from. And I mean, it, it's a really strange one in South Australia, to be honest, because I'm not getting any clear idea of the why behind it. You know, oh, like... come on. Come on. The why is simple, man. The why is simple. It's the lobby group. Think... The lobby group behind right. Susan Close. That's it. Okay. Absolutely. That is her why. But when you do something, normally you have a justification, you know? So they're sort of saying... Well, look, the RSPCA lobbied Susan Close and she agreed to make these changes as part of her getting into into power. So that is that why. But whenever I'm looking at documentation about why bow hunting's banned, why not hunting in general, nobody's giving you an answer to that. Like the RSPCA, I just popped on their website today because I was curious as to their why. And everything they spewed out there was unfounded, unfactual, and unscientific. You know, like, look, um, bow hunters are, you know, bow hunting is less humane. Bow hunters have less of a chance of hitting their target. Bow hunters this, bow hunters that. And that's all stuff that you can throw out in the universe. Like, I can turn around and say elephants can fly, you know. And, I mean, I believe that elephants could fly if they really wanted to, but that's not factual. Like they don't have anything that's based on actual facts on their site. It's all emotions and emotive stuff. And it is based on maybe four or five incidences of animals turning up with target tipped arrows in them. Uh Okay. So then they've gone, this is bow hunting, bow hunting's bad without actually looking at the science or the proof behind it. But about you but i've been on expeditions with men with rifles who have made bad shots countless times you know and you don't see those sorts of things being brought up you know i mean the fact that my cousin's property just recently the property next door had professional kangaroo hunters on it and they crossed the line and shot across into his property and i came across five kangaroos with bullets in them that weren't deadly enough to kill them on site, but they were dying slowly over a period of days. So, you know, they're sort of saying studies with professional gun hunters against your average bow hunter proves that more animals are wounded. But I'm like, if you're doing studies with professional hunters, you need to study with professional bow hunters as well, not just take Uh the average Joe on the street who shot Uh at a target a couple of Uh times. Mm-hmm. I mean, no, there's no doubt. The research shows that the wounding rates are about equivalent when it comes to bow hunting and gun hunting or any kind of hunting. Let's just say gun hunting and bow hunting wounding rates are about equivalent. And at the end of the day, when you ask any hunter, regardless of the weapon and the equipment that they choose to use, there is always a component of practice that goes into it. And so then it begs the question, Kai. Why do, let's just couch it in the example that we're living in, why do bow hunters practice? <laughs> well, bow hunters practice because we choose the sport because it's a little bit more difficult than shooting with a rifle. For me, I 
You know, I what can is your grab why? A... What is your why behind why you practice, Kai? Because I want to make the most ethical shot possible to kill the animal as quick as possible. And, you know, personally, I've seen my arrow go in and out of a goat and the goat not even know it's been hit. Like, it'll stand there, it'll blink a few times and fall over. And I've seen the same goats shot by rifles in the same sort of position and it's like, and you know, like it's such 100%. a huge level of trauma. So for me, bone hunting allows me to have a greater connection with the animal that I'm hunting. And I believe it it's less of an impact on the animal. And that's what these studies out of like um, out of the European countries are proving at the moment. Like they're taking bloods from the animals. So I don't know if people know, but. Cortisol is a stress hormone that gets Correct. released into the body. So they're able to they're able to measure the amount of stress that's impacted on an animal from different ways of dying due to the level of cortisol in their blood. So they are shooting them with an arrow, shooting them with a gun, taking the cortisol and finding that the stress response by being shot with a rifle is far greater than being shot with a bow. And, you know, like probably you and me have instinctively known that because we've watched the animals go down with both weapons and, you know, we instinctively realize it's more peaceful with a bow, but um, the stress hormone cortisol, it gets released into an animal's body when it's under extreme stress. So now what they're doing is they're shooting a, an animal with a rifle and shooting an animal with a bow and then measuring the levels of cortisol in that animal's body. Mm -hmm. And there's less cortisol released, so less stress released when an animal's been shot by a bow than when it's been shot by a rifle. So science is now backing up what sort of bow hunters have always felt from the very beginning. Well, you've seen it, right? If you've watched any animal taken with a bow, there are instances, that, and this isn't a writ large across the board, there are instances, like you just said, where your arrow zips through the animal and the animal doesn't move. It doesn't even know that what has happened. There are times where it kicks and that's probably where the, you know, the arrow has hit a nerve or has deflected off bone or whatnot, just like a bullet would, and the animal's going to kick and react to it. But there's times where that animal doesn't move. Okay. And that is the science and the engineering that has gone into bow architecture and broadhead architecture. And again, it begs the question, why have we bothered to put so much engineering into an arrow and into a broadhead? Because we want to kill that animal as ethically and as efficiently as we possibly can. I mean, personally, I practiced shooting with a bow for a full year before I felt like I was hitting the center of the target enough to go out and confidently shoot an animal. You know, I mean, and most people I know that bow hunt in Australia, that's their goal. Like, yeah, yeah. nobody wants to be chasing after a, an animal with an arrow in it, you know, and, and a lot of bow, potential bow hunters that I know won't. I mean, don't even have the courage in their own shot to go out and bow hunt animals. So it's like, 
they know that they're not confident with their shots, so they won't do it. And those that are confident with their shots do get out and and do make these ad kills as ethically as possible. And I think what I'm really frustrated about, not only with the bow hunting, but with media in general at the moment, is people just take a concept <sighs> and then add all this stuff to it that's not true. And then it explodes because people feel like that's what they should be believing in and and then it becomes fact, you know. So that's the the crazy thing for me is, yes, there was a seal that had an arrow in it and the seal was dead. And so, but yet there's this assumption that it died awfully and there's an assumption that it was an actual bow hunter that did it. And from those two tiny little bits of information, this whole movement was born. And, you know, if you truly do get down to the heart and, and chat with these people and question them about why they believe in it, they don't know why they believe in it. Yeah. You know, if you give them the full information, there's quite often confused looks. But what the problem is, is that we're not able to get to these very vocal majority to change most people's minds before it starts going into legislation. Uh-huh. I mean, that's the big frustration for me is this legislation is based on misinformation. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. You know, one of the things I keep coming back to, and Susan Close has said it, and you've read it on the RSPCA's website, is this whole idea of it being inhumane. Okay. So in my brain, I'm like, okay, so what does that mean? If I had to break down what inhumane men means, it means in my brain that I'm causing pain. That's inhumane. And I think every hunter would agree. I think every hunter would argue that everything we do is to reduce the inhumaneness of us taking life. Not that we have to apologize for it because we've chosen to be meat eaters and that's what we are are doing. But I think that every hunter would agree that we maximize everything we do to maximize, to minimize the inhumaneness of what we do. And I think there's an assumption that if you hunt, you're a trophy hunter. And if you hunt, you're doing it to have dominance over an animal. And that we're all out there kicking puppies and stepping on kitten tails. You know, I mean, I was a vegetarian for 20 years. Um, I was a vegetarian for 20 years because of doctor's orders. They said I had a liver condition. And the only way that I could deal with this liver condition was either to donate blood or to be a vegetarian. And, you know, I love animals. Like, I'm a wildlife photographer. I step over ants. I'll pick up the spider and carry the spider out of the house. I love nothing more than being in nature and interacting with animals. And so when I decided to eat meat, because I realized that this vegetarian diet was actually making me sicker, um, I decided to, the most sustainable way of of sourcing my own meat was to hunt it. And so you have an extreme animal lover here. Yet, I went out and I shot a goat with a bow because, like, I can shoot with a rifle. Like, I was brought up in the country and, you know, I'm a very good shot with a rifle if I wanted to be. But for me, the way I could have the most connection with my 
with an animal was through bow hunting. Like you have to get close. You have to learn all about that animal and its habits. And and there's this incredible connection with you and the animal when, you know, when you, you do finally shoot it with the bow, you know I mean? So you have a connection to your meat. You have in, incredible sort of understanding and empathy about where it comes from and what you've had to do to get it. And then I wasn't satisfied with just going like, okay, I've shot it. Now someone else like cut it up. So for me, it was important that I processed it. And, and all of those sort of things are, are, you know, in my way, respecting the animal and respecting the process. But I have to say like nothing felt so right to me in my life. The first second I provided my own meat for myself. It was like something clicked in my brain and I was like, this is the way it's supposed to be. So suggesting that we can't be animal lovers and wildlife appreciators and hunt is just like such an another big sort of bit of misinformation that gets put out there. Yeah, 100%. 100%. You know, it's um, a lot of people that don't bow hunt. They, they look at the equipment, they look at it, they, it looks a little traditional, it looks a little archaic, um, but then when they see a compound bow and they see how fast an arrow flies out of a compound bow, even traditional bows, in, in, a, in a short distance, th that arrow is moving very, very quickly. And the broadhead itself is extremely, extremely, extremely sharp. Right. And here's, and they were like, well, you know, it's still, it's still, you know, it's still going to hurt the animal. It's still going to be a little inhumane, going back to the inhumane part. I'm like, all right, right, right. Here's an example. Sorry, we've got a massive storm about to hear this. Um, <laughs> I say, have you ever cut yourself with a knife? Like a really sharp knife. Kai, I bet you you've cut yourself with a really sharp knife. Yep. Let me ask this. And it just think back to that situation. Um, and it also happens with shaving of legs. And I am admitting on the Blood Origins podcast that, yes, Robbie has shaved his legs <laughs> once when he was a youngster. <laughs> and it was a to-do thing. But right, for, those, right. for those guys that don't know what cutting your legs are like, but most girls do, I'll use the sharp knife analogy. When you cut yourself with a sharp knife, Kai, or when you cut yourself shaving, does it hurt? Not at first. Sometimes you're just like, where's all this blood coming from? Hundred <laughs> percent. I, I definitely. I mean, I've I've had the misfortune of like harvesting my animal and accidentally like nicking myself with the arrow that was in the animal. I don't know if anyone else has done that, but like you you don't even realize the blood is yours, you know, until you start to wash the blood off your hands and you're like, oh shoot, like where did that come from? And really, the only time pain in those big, deep lacerations, the only time you actually have pain is when you start pouring water on it. And water is now going into the, those wound cavities. Otherwise, you don't even know that you've been cut. Like you said, if you're, you're dealing with an animal and you've sliced yourself, your blood's intermingling with their blood. You don't even know what blood is what until you pull away and you're like, oh, what? Is that my blood? And where? And so the point here is this is that when you start looking at medical research and you start using humans as the test subjects, as the research subjects, sharp lacerating wounds or lacerations are 
actually very painless. And so if you're if you are on the other side of the camp of against hunting and you believe animals and humans are the same thing then medical research is showing you that sharp last lacerations if in the human context doesn't create pain it doesn't create pain on the animal side of things either and and, and the evidence has shown that the evidence of not an animal not moving animal not feeling anything and what those the sharp lacerations do yeah those sharp there's no cortisol and then what those sharp lacerations are are designed to do mechanically engineered to do is to create extreme amounts of blood loss which is essentially a hypovolemic hypovolemic shock that enters into the body you lose 25 percent of your blood or 30 percent of your blood i can't remember what the number is you enter into an animal's hypovolemic shock, i.e. you're going to go unconscious. Uh-huh. And that's when the animal falls over. And from unconsciousness, it moves to death. So, I mean, I guess my biggest issue about all of this, and this is what I've been talking to a lot of South Australian hunters about, bone hunters about, is like, how do we get this information out there? You know, I mean, we know it, and... I mean, another interesting thing on the RSPCA website was the fact that the only quote they had about bow hunting being a challenging sport, and they pulled it from a bow hunting magazine in 2015. So this is like, they must have been reaching for a quote to have to go back to 2015 (laughs) to find one. And the quote's been twisted because it says, like, if you bow hunt, to provide meat from your for your family, then perhaps, or if you had to provide meat from your family, then boat hunting's not the sport for you. And I get that, you know, because if you are relying on that meat, then boat hunting is most definitely a harder way to get that meat. Correct. But that's why we love it. Like we love the challenge of that and it's only harder because if I went out with a rifle tomorrow and I go to where the deer population is and I stand about a hundred meters away and I go boom I've got a deer from my fridge if I go out with my bow I've got to get within 20 meters of that deer to make an ethical kill and deer are designed to be prey but really amazing prey like they've had years and years and years of evolution and predators. They developed like all the sight, the hearing, the smell, like everything about them is designed to not be easy to kill. So yes, of course, you know, if you've got a family at home that's starving and you're going to go out with a rifle versus a bow, it is a more predictable meat source to carry a rifle. But we're still filling our fridges and freezers mm-hmm. with meat from boat hunting. You know, we it's still it's still a sustainable way of, of choosing to hunt. And in my point of view, for me, I find it more ethical to do it that way. So it's this this twist of a, a quote that really doesn't mean what they think it means. Well, don't don't we have the right to decide how we want to? Con- you know, the, the choice of consuming meat, number one. Uh-huh. Then the choice of how we consume our meat. Where are we going to get it? We're going to get it from the grocery store. We're going to buy a half a cow from 
the local farmer because you know he's he's participating in regenerative agriculture, or we oh, decide well. to use a rifle to do it, or we decide no, we feel like if we are going to be meat eaters, we need to be the most ethical. Not to say that rifle hunting isn't, but to say okay, we're going to challenge ourselves to the nth degree. And even in the bow hunting spectrum, there's a there's a gradient from the compound bow to the trad bow to the long bow to the guy who makes his own bow. Yeah. Why does why human society have a right to tell us where you get to take, where you get to get your meat from is the crux of the matter for me. And we just lost you again at 15 minutes. It's like we have a 15 minute timer. <laughs> oh. oh, there you I, are. Oh, okay. you are. I it's think like it might you be have a fifteen minutes something. Yeah, it was like at fifteen <laughs> minutes again. I was like, "Oh my gosh, I'm a loser again at fifteen minutes." Like, All right, start no, again for me. Like, don't we have a right? You know, and you keep using this word inhumane, right? This is the word that they keep using. Correct. Now, so the feral species in Australia are out of control. So we aren't allowed to hunt native species legally. So all hunters are hunting the feral species. So here it's mainly rabbits, foxes, goats, pigs, deer, and buffalo. That's our invasive species. Now, if the RSPCA would just look at the damage these invasive species are doing to our environment to begin with. So get out of your cities, get out of your towns, go into the rural environment and have a look at the damage pigs are doing to the native environment. Have a look at the amount of damage that foxes are doing to our tiny ground land mammals. You know, like these animals are doing enormous amounts of damage. So firstly, they're going, yeah, we don't want you to hunt these feral animals, even though they are damaging the natural environment. And secondly, you've got the Department of Environmental Affairs going like, well, we have to control these feral animal populations because it's bad for our native flora and fauna. Okay, so how do we manage those? So we're not going to let people hunt them for food, but we have to kill them anyway. So this is when you get the baits and you get the hunting from helicopters. And I have witnessed the accuracy of people hunting from helicopters. So you've got professional hunters. They are just looking to get a bullet in an animal. They don't care where. They know that that bullet is going to be enough to kill the animal eventually. So they've done the population control. So you have an animal wandering around for 48 hours before that gut shot actually kills them and they're in immense pain. You know, if I'm harvesting my food, I'm not wandering around for 48 hours with an injured animal. You know, if if it has been injured, I'm tracking it and I'm, you know, getting another arrow into it immediately. And this is the other thing that they said, no, I've got to stick with the baiting thing. So then they'll bait them. And just recently, one of my family's dogs died from eating a bait. Now, that dog didn't die immediately. That dog took six hours to die and was in such pain through the death that its eyes bulged out of its sockets. So you cannot tell me that that is a more humane way for an animal to die. So what these people need to understand from the RSPCA is that these animals are going to get killed either way. Mm -hmm. Is six hours of dying slowly 
with a Gen 80 bait in your stomach more humane or less humane than an arrow and dying within 45 seconds. And this is the information they're not getting. They're just like, oh, animals are being hunted. And they're not going like, well, what do we do with these animals if we don't hunt them and we don't use them for food? And then you've got this deer culling where they're shooting again from helicopters and you have this massive amount of meat just rotting and going to waste. So I'd love to sit in on these meetings and present these facts and be like, okay, so the deer's dying anyway. Should someone be eating it or are we just going to let it rot? You know, I mean, it's it's this massive wave of one-sidedness. Oh, we've got to protect the animals without understanding that these animals are not animals that get protected. You know, they're animals that get culled in massive numbers. I mean, I have the issue with the kangaroo population as well. Like, if you don't have any Indigenous blood in you in Australia, you cannot hunt the native animals. My cousin's property has thousands of kangaroos running wild on it. He has tags for a thousand kangaroos a year to cull, but you're not allowed to collect the meat. And I'm not allowed to do it. It has to be a professional hunter with a license to cull kangaroos that comes in and culls them. So what, like, kangaroo meat has the highest level of protein of any meat that you can get so why aren't we utilizing this amazing source of meat to feed this massive sort of population of people that can't afford to to get their own food yeah and you you put on top of it covid and the the lack of food availability the food insecurity issues that were running rampant it just is, is almost, again, you know, you go back to the beginning of what you said. You want to understand their why because you start stacking up all these things. You're like, it makes no sense. Why, no. Did, why are you going off this thing that all of, our, all of your arguments are, can be debunked? It's tied in with a pandemic and food shortages and food insecurities. And lastly, is there nothing better to do? For you to waste your time on in the state of South Australia, are there other are there no other issues that you have to tackle? I saw this video on Instagram the other day, and somebody came up to this group of protesters, and they said to one girl, "Like, hey, what are you protesting here?" And she's like, "Uh, I don't know what we're protesting." And the person who was interviewing said, "Oh, let me, you know, let me fill you in. You're protesting about this thing," and she's like. Yeah, you know, that should be banned. And he said, okay, well, once this issue is resolved, you know, like, will you stop protesting then? And she's like, no, I'll just go to the next rally as well. So, you know, it's this virtue signaling that we're getting into where people don't even understand what they're fighting for anymore or what they're fighting against anymore. And I think that's the most frustrating thing for me is like, how do we get the information into the hands of people who are making decisions? Because they don't appear to be listening. You know, I mean, there was this email thing that came out six months ago about vote hunting in SA. If you had a South Australian address, you could send in an email and say, look, I protest vote hunting. And we all did it. So what? You know, the next yeah. thing we get is a, is a letter saying the conditions of your hunting permit have been changed and you can no longer hunt with a bow. 
And then there's this thing like, well, send in all your emails to these people now. And so, so they get an inbox of a hundred emails. They just delete. Like there, there has to be, there has to be more that we can do about this issue because I think they have us divided as well. You know, like the people in Victoria are like, well, it's not happening to us. I'm like, well, it is with your duck hunting. And as soon as they take bows away from South Australians, they're going to start going in Victoria. And the more states you get, the more pressure there's going to get in each state. So it is an Australia-wide problem. How do we, how do we change it? You know, how do we Uh get our voices heard? That's the biggest thing. You know, number, I'll, I'll say it very simplistically. There's two things. One is money, and two is politics. And so let me break that down. Number one, money. You need a lot of money to be able to say, okay, we'll sue you. We'll take the legal route, and we'll take you to court. And they, you know, it's based on something that was mismanaged or misappropriated through the, docu- through the process. Did they consult appropriately? Uh, are they basing their grounds on legitimate actions, that kind of stuff. But you need an organization who has the cojones and has the legal backing, has the legal department to say, okay, let's do it. But legal graft is very, very expensive. Right? Number two, money. We have never, as a hunting industry, have never gone into the advertising space RSPCA, PETA, they're all advertised. Local newspapers, national newspapers. Every time duck hunting season comes around in Victoria, they're putting ads with, with coffins and ducks in it, you know, in ads. I said, well, why don't we have our ads? Why don't we have a big billboard in Adelaide? I'll tell you why. Number one, we don't have the money. And number two, for unfortunately in the hunting industry, it's all about ego, i.e., if I'm going to put a billboard up there, oh, I need recognition. Whatever, name the hunting organization, we want recognition. Then it's politics. And politics is a long ball game. You don't think Susan Close just, at a whim, had a conversation with RSPCA in the last six months and said, we're going to do this. Susan Close and the RSPCA have had a relationship for years. Five, ten years. And they have slowly watched her and they've slowly campaigned with her as she's made herself further and further and further up the ranking. She's now the Minister of the Environment. Exactly the position they want her in. Actually, there's going to be a better position when she becomes the, it's not the Prime Minister, but what is it, the the premier or the premier the premier of the south of south australia one day yeah those two things we have failed as a hunting community to do and the anti-hunting side of it they do it extremely extremely well and i think that part of that is from what i see like us as hunters we just get on with our lives you know like oh yeah we're closet we i call ourselves we're closet hunters we stay in the closet leave us alone as you just say we get on with our lives ah, don't worry about us we're fine you we're do fine you. we're fine yeah like we we don't mind what other people are doing it's like you do you and we'll do us you know like we're not um we're not saying we're not trying to put our point of view onto other people you know when i meet a vegetarian or a vegan i'm like 
okay, that's your choice, you know. When they meet me, they're like, oh, my God, what are you doing? Let me talk to you for hours about why what you're doing is wrong, you know. Whereas I feel like we're just, we're content and we're happy to get on with our lives. And and that's probably our biggest downfall was our lack of caring about what other people are doing. Kai, maybe we should. Yeah. And maybe here's, a, here's an out-of-the-box idea. Bow hunting will be banned. There's nothing stopping it. Okay? Why don't we put a plan in place for the next five years to get it back? Or ten years to get it back? And yeah. play their game. And we play a long ball game. Not a reaction game, but a proactive game. A proactive game saying, okay, we can get this back. And here's the strategy. Here's the marketing materials. Here's the mechanical engineering. Here's, you know, whatever we need to do. Yeah. And I I do think that, like, the Europe, the Scandinavian countries leading the way is going to be key too because if you – we need to do our own research. We need to have the scientific papers. We need to present these papers. Um, but also, if you think about – climate control and environmental issues and healthcare and everybody looks to these Scandinavian countries as a as role models you know like our recycling plants in Australia everyone's like well look at Norway or whatever they don't have any recycling issues now because they've recycled everything in this way and then their healthcare there is free so you know like they are modeling interesting ways of approaching the environmental stuff we're dealing with so the very fact that they are the role models that we look to for environmental things and they have come back with this study about bow hunting being as ethical and effective as rifle hunting is is such a huge thing but i think we also need to be doing our own studies and that needs to be in relation with our department of environmental affairs as well um, so it is, you know, something does need to be put into place before, you know, before everything's gone. <laughs> and I, no, I think, you know, that's the way that you've got to look at it, is that we may have lost this battle. But we have a lot of things on our side. We have a lot of things tied innately to who we are as humans. The food, the local war movement ecosystem management, traditions. We have a lot of things that people see value in. And those are the things that I think we need to focus on. And we need to build campaigns around them. And again, campaigns take money and campaigns take politics. But we can start tomorrow. And in five, ten years time, we'll see like, oh my gosh, we get it back. And more. And I do think that education is key. Being visible, rational, and scientific in our approach. You know, because what they're expecting is they're expecting a whole mob of hunters to be aggressive and give us our guns back and let us kill things that we want to kill. And, you know, I mean, this is the expectation of who we are, but we need to approach it in a really calm, rational manner 
to be able to be effective. And I mean, I'm hoping with this tide that's turning against um, against this big vegan activism movement. I mean, I'm seeing stuff in the paper today that parents that feed their children under eight a vegan diet are having their children taken away for child abuse. So there's now science backing up the fact that a vegan diet isn't healthy to feed your children. Um, Kai, Kai, I've got an idea. What? This is not this is not the rational, respectful Robbie because I'm you know <laughs> but how about we build a billboard that has a line down the middle and has a child being force-fed <laughs> lettuce on one side saying child abuse versus a child in a wetland or, you know, with an animal saying, you know, raised right or something like that. That would be fighting fire with fire now, right? Yes and no. Like, if we put studies to back it up, I mean, it. so not only is it children being affected, but it's adults being affected as well, you know? They have just recently released a study saying that vegans and vegetarians have twice the number of anxiety and depression mental disorders than people who eat meat. So, you know, for years people have associated meat studies with obesity and and heart disease and bad health, but now all these studies are being done properly and they're showing that sort of thing. But, yes, I agree, a billboard that has, you know, even a, there's a photo of the child that was taken away. I mean, I know of three or four cases, but I've seen a photo of the child that was taken away from neglect. And the parents are going to jail for yes. feeding their yeah for feeding their child a vegan diet has been the level of abuse that that gets a jail sentence associated with it. Can you send me that, please, if you can 100%. find it? 100%. Okay. Oh yeah, yeah. Is um, and this case is popping up all over the world. So, I mean, I think, yeah. I mean, even just looking at it like at like that, they're taking our meat sources away. Yeah, <laughs> Kai, this is a obviously a, a happening now kind of issue, and um, I appreciate you reaching out. And um. You know, ducks are happening now. We're going to say something. We're obviously going to say more about the bow hunting issue. Um, but yeah, I appreciate you. I appreciate you being an Aussie voice. And um, we need more voices like you. Um, when you get out of the stunt game, holler at me. We may have to hire you as Blood Origins Australia. All right? <laughs> I'm ready. Um and also, I mean, I'd just like to ask if anybody has suggestions of how, like, like podcasts like this get to the people who are already believers. My posts get to people who already think the way I think. Like, we need to figure out how to change the thinking of the people that don't necessarily follow uh -huh. us uh -huh. or look at what we're doing. So that's uh -huh. sort of... You know, if we get, in, I mean, the billboard's fantastic. I mean, billboards aren't that expensive either, mm -hmm. you know, and I don't think that people can choose what you put on them because, I mean, I've just been going past one that tells me that, 
you know, Christ is my Lord and Savior. And I'm like, I mean, some people disagree with that too, and that gets oh, sure. out. So you should have freedom of speech on a billboard if you pay for it. So uh-huh. I'd be interested to see sort of going that route and what that would look like. But the most important thing is we are, are rationally vocal about the scientific facts behind bow hunting so that we can we can get the message to people who who aren't believers in, in this yep. sort of lifestyle. You'd be surprised who listens to this podcast. I get messages from like non-hunters all the time, which is yeah. the point. There's the point of our content, but we don't really hit a, you're right, we don't hit a mainstream non-hunting audience with a podcast like this. It would need to be, yeah. you know, talk radio in South Australia or the local news in South Australia or get an editorial written in the newspaper in South Australia specific to this bow hunting issue. Uh, And that's all context, right? That's all about relationships and who you know. And that's it. And who's prepared to stand up as well, you know? I mean, it's a scary scary place when you've got comedians like, with a lot of influence, like Ricky Gervais being on on the other side, and uh, we'll punch um, Ricky Gervais in the mouth every single yeah. day. No problems, <laughs> no problems. Yeah, I think you that's know, the difference between Blood Origins is that you look at all the organisations around the world. Some in Australia, nobody really has a face or a voice that's willing to put their head above the parapet and send bullets, but you are going to take bullets at the same time, right? Yeah. The whole elephant debacle last April, I was named in 30 newspaper articles all around the world. Yeah. But it was the only way to get a pro-hunting voice and a message put into those articles. Yeah, it's a scary place to stand in this sort of woke world we live in, you know. But, um, I mean, I haven't had a conversation with an anti-hunter who hasn't managed to acknowledge that I might be onto something at the end of the conversation. You know, oh, yeah. like... my best, my best comment reaction on, it was on a random post. It wasn't even one on about one of ours. Somebody was doing, you know, again, just bleeding off some nonsense. And I wrote a long comment and the response was, I'm a bleeding hard vegan, but even this guy makes sense to me. Yeah. And that's that's what we gotta do. We've got to get the voice out there and and create some change within it. So this is part of it. I appreciate your podcast and what you do with the communications and how you, you fight on the voice of the hunters. So thank you for yeah, spending your time and energy with it. No, we're just getting started. Just getting started. Thanks, guy. You're welcome. Lovely chatting with you. Well, that's it for today. I appreciate you listening, as always. Leave a review, share it with your friends, and most importantly, do what's right to convey the truth around hunting.